0: My next guest is a writer and podcaster for The Ringer. When welcome back on, Kaylin. we had a big, uh, big signing today in the NFC West.
1: Yeah, we did. Uh, it's exciting. Bobby Wagner coming down to LA.
0: Do you think this is like, I kind of I don't know if I coined it earlier. Is this a revenge signing? Like he's so pissed off the way the Seahawks handled things that he wanted to play him twice a year.
1: Um, I'm sure that has you know that is that a thing. I don't think it's a thing. I think it's a thing. I mean, like, there's definitely guys who are extra motivated. I don't think if it's necessarily, like, the sole reason, but it definitely plays a role, right? Like, you're getting to play the team that slighted you after, you know, basically having a Hall of Fame-level career if you're Bobby Wagner, giving that franchise, helping it lift the Super Bowl, being the leader on that team that won the Super Bowl, and then for them to not even give you the due diligence of, you know, uh, uh, you know, talking to you prior to leaking out that you're being released. You know, it's not a good look on the Seahawks. And, you know, like for Wagner, you know, there's that motivation because one, you know, he's a little bit older, obviously, uh, just not me personally, but I'm sure people on the media said like he's lost a step and there is some credence to that. Um, but he is coming off a 100 tackle plus season. Um, he's going to be playing for a Rams team that seems to find a way to keep maximizing veterans who are coming in later in their careers. And I think he's coming into a good role too. like. He's going to be able to mentor Ernest Jones, the second-year linebacker out of uh, South Carolina, I believe. He's a very talented uh, player, another guy that the Rams, you know, mined out of, you know, later rounds and ended up playing a pretty key role for them uh, inside during the Super Bowl run. So it, it could, you know, end up being, end up playing out um, well for the Rams. I am skeptical, as you, know, you and I were just talking about before the show, um, about what the figures for that deal actually looks like ultimately – um, you know, three-year deal for Bobby Wagner at this point. Um, again, like you're baking on him not losing a complete step – or excuse me, a five-year deal. Five years, uh, $50 million. Uh, I think it's worth up to $65 million, uh, you know, in the incentives and all that. So, I mean, we'll see. This is a guy who, had again, like a Hall of Fame caliber player, similar to Von Miller last year, if he can have that kind of impact um, from that linebacker position where they have really needed some help. It could be a really big boost for this defense.
0: Yeah, because it feels like this defense is kind of top heavy, with Ramsey and and now Wagner, Aaron Donald, um, Leonard Floyd, Greg Gaines. People, nobody nobody likes to put Greg Gaines in that elite tier of their <laughs> defense, but it, it's, it's a very on, good player. And an offense, like they did lose Whitworth, but you got Allen Robinson. You traded Woods. We don't know if they're gonna bring back Beckham. So it's kind of interesting how that whole damn, damn mimic, cause I mean, because I don't think it's like, I don't know if it's just me, but I don't feel like a, the winner of a Super Bowl has ever felt less significant two months later than the Rams do.
1: Well, I think part of that is, you know, the, the, the fact that it's the Rams, uh, you know, let's be honest, like our generation in particular, you know, there, there isn't a huge following for the Rams. We don't consider them like a blue. They blood all became
0: Chiefs fans when they left Rams. St. Louis. <laughs> yeah.
1: Right. Right. That's what I'm saying. Like, you know, the, the fan base isn't as vocal. Like there, there's more of a, especially in LA, like I'm from LA, like the fair, it's very fair weather fandom. And even though they did win a Super Bowl, ultimately this is a Lakers town, this is a Dodgers town. And then everybody else kind of falls in place. And that includes the Rams, even though they did have, you know, a previous stay out here. That being said, like you touched on the offense. It's interesting because I feel like the woods, trade away in particular, and then the Allen Robinson signing. um, I feel like that's really a signal that they're shifting away from what we've known to be the Rams offense. Like they're going away from that play action heavy type stuff, even though it helped them win the Super Bowl, you know, switching that play style uh, against the Bengals. Ultimately, you know, for a majority of the season, what Sean McVay showed and revealed was that he wants to be a pure drop back Heavy team, which is you know why you go out and get a guy like Matthew Stafford, which is why they you know went away from doing a lot of the play action heavy stuff that they had to do for J- Jared Goff. And so, you know, getting a big bodied outside receiver like Allen Robinson, potentially retaining uh, Odell Beckham, uh, and then you already have Cooper Cup, who's going to be able to win on the inside consistently. Um, they have a pretty interesting you know evolution if you're looking at over the coaching career of Sean McVay and what he wants the Rams to be moving forward they're going to be able to continue to take shots downfield um and you know if everything goes according to plan like it did this past year um they they should be able to compete for you know the nfc title just like they did this year
0: um because they still just pay Donald, right and i'm pretty sure he wants to he was going to want to reset the market so that's another like i don't know it's like <laughs> wild to me um right, kinda, right, right. Do, do you think but wagner wanted to avoid the afc that because i feel like the ravens would be a great fit but like you don't want to go to the afc
1: yeah, I I don't know what his motives is. You know, it's funny. Like we'll probably get to speak with them, you know, in the upcoming days. But yeah, I mean, if, if I were an NFL player and my motive was to win, I would not go to the AFC because of how crowded it is. Which is, you know, kind of why um, I found it interesting that Russell Wilson pushed to go to Denver. I'm sure you know he had his reasonings. But you're in the stacked AFC West. Like if I'm Bobby Wagner, sure the Ravens can win the AFC North. Right? It's not. You know, given that Cleveland wins, even with Sean Watson, it's not given that Steelers who, you know, Mike Tomlin has been able to keep them in that playoff picture, regardless of who's that quarterback, but they're probably not going to win it. And then even the Bengals, you know, coming off the AFC championship win, um, you know, it's not guaranteed that they will dominate the division once again. So, I mean, there, there was incentive and reason to join a Ravens team that has done a really good job reloading on defense this offseason, but... Uh, like I mentioned before, if I'm trying to win, I'm going to go to the NFC because right now, if you were to pick a Super Bowl uh, representative from that conference, I mean, there's three or four teams that you could probably go with. There's three.
0: I don't, mean, they, I don't even think confident confident there's four. In.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So it makes sense.
0: Do Do you think Brady was involved at all in Bruce Arians reshuffling?
1: So it, I I think the way that people have portrayed it is, you know, there might've been a rift between Tom Brady and Bruce Arians. And I can't say for certain whether that was true or not. I'm sure that there was just because Bruce Arians is more combative publicly and Tom Brady would probably prefer that, you know, everything is kept in house, which, you know, that plays into their personality styles. That being said, just fundamentally speaking, yes, the, the uh, unretirement, of tom brady did have an impact because you know the whole idea was that when bruce arian stepped away or at least what he said in his press conference was he wanted to leave you know the bucks in the situation for todd bowles or whoever was going to be uh his successor in a good position to succeed and by leaving at this juncture after tom brady decides to come back you know that you're going to have the offense in place and that will take care of itself because tom brady and Byron left which that's kind of you know self autonomy You don't have to worry about that side of the football. And even with Todd Bowles running the defensive side, like allowing him to step into that head coaching role, you don't have to worry about, you know, will this team be good or not? It's not a New York Jets situation where he's going to be, you know, coaching a team that's, you know, quarterbacked by Geno Smith. I'll respect Geno Smith, but, you know, this is a really talented team. He has an opportunity to compete for an NFC title. And that's a rare opportunity in and of itself specifically for a black coach and so i thought it was really cool that arian's uh left you know a really stable uh franchise in place for a successor and you know he'll still be around and all that in a whatever advisory role that he's going to be a part of but as far as whether it was tom brady pushing him out you know i I, you know i smile because you know i don't know (laughs) because
0: two weeks ago if this was his plan all along if, if Brady doesn't come back two weeks ago, it's, hey, by the way, I'm leaving. This is your new quarterback, Kyle Trask. And then things, the dominoes kind of fell, and then all of a sudden he's leaving. And now here's a great situation. I don't, I don't know if Arians was planning on leaving at the same time, but it's the whole thing. Is, I also found it interesting that it wasn't Witch. Yeah.
1: I makes was, me feel I that was, Brady
0: Brady has a larger voice with Bowles as the coach than with Witch
1: exactly and that that's the thing like when the games end you know you won't have to worry about byron Leftwich standing at the podium and saying hey that was tom's fault like you know bruce arians didn't care like you know he was willing to be that honest now that Byron, you know byron Leftwich, i don't even think he's that kind of personality but at the same time he didn't even want to be know, there he was
0: trying to become the jags
1: coach <laughs> i mean he probably was being you know the opposite coordinator for tom brady is a pretty sweet game yeah. so I'm, I'm sure he doesn't mind it but You know, that being said, like he doesn't have to be the front facing for anything. That can all be Todd Bowles. And simultaneously, you know, Todd Bowles, different mindset. Bruce Arians is a lot more loose, laid back. You know, the environment for what the coaching, what he wants his uh, team's environment and atmosphere to be. I think Bowles is more of a disciplinarian. And so that'll probably be in lockstep with what Brady is more accustomed to as far as, you know, keeping the team focused and driving towards a particular goal. And I think that's where, you know, Brady's voice might've been heard. And, you know, we'll never really know until one, you know, somebody actually tells the truth about what happened, you know, maybe they are telling the truth. <laughs>
0: so there's been a couple of different scenarios with Brady this offseason. Mm-hmm. Um, out of a hundred, give me the percent chance he's playing next year, not in a Bucks uniform.
1: Oh, in 2023.
0: Wow. No, this coming, this upcoming season.
1: Oh, 2022. I think it's 100 percent. He's going to be in a hundred percent. Yeah, 100 percent. At this point, if Arians was still there and there because the murmurs about there. You think it was like a me or you kind of thing? That's the thing. I don't think it was a me or you kind of thing. I think it was. I don't particularly like we're going to make this work, but I'm not happy about it. I don't think Tom Brady would have pushed it. Because Gronk still
0: hasn't signed, and I find that very
1: interesting. Right, right. That is interesting, too. And the thing is, like, th- there is this whole idea, if you look at the timeline, like, Arian's deciding, you know, he's going to step away. If you run that all the way back to when Brady was, you know, in England, you know, watching that soccer game with the Glazers, who own Manchester United and uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, you know, it makes sense that a conversation might have taken place whether Arians had already informed the Glazers that he was stepping away or that he was planning to stay or that if Brady came back they would make sure Arians would move on. You know, you just never know. And I think it's just all speculative to discuss. But uh, it definitely is interesting that, you know, it's all you know <laughs> uh you know it sorted itself out the way that it has.
0: In terms of the draft, because we're I think we're a- I think we're 30 days. Yeah. 30, uh, I guess. Well, yeah. So 20, I, 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 would say, I guess. All right. So four Thursdays from now. So yes, yeah, so I guess we're a month in the draft. Um, what do you make of Trayvon Walker from Georgia's sk- kind of skyrocketing up to potentially being in the mix for number one pick when we haven't heard about this guy in months?
1: You know, I'm not too surprised because every year I feel like we have that prospect who just kind of skyrockets upwards. And the thing is, when you watch his tape and when you watch Georgia's tape, there's just so many different that's, that's my players. thing.
0: Georgia stopped playing mm-hmm. four months ago. What's changed since the national championship? They've seen everything.
1: Right, but he's also tested and he's gone All through the Combine.
0: You think the Combine really wowed these teams or do you think it's kind of nonsense?
1: Absolutely it did absolutely did and that's the thing like that's the value of the combine in and of itself right like the thing with the combine is. Like you're you're able to take empirical data over the course of you know, however many years I don't know how many years they've been doing the combine. Um, But you know you have data that suggests a player, you know who does well in this particular uh, drill probably has a good shot at playing, you know, lasting in the NFL for however long or being a successful player. And the other thing about that too, is you're finally getting those guys in one-on-one evaluations. Whether, you know, I, I don't know how long those meetings are. Sometimes 15 minutes, sometimes it's 30 minutes. Um, you have the pro days where you're able to meet with guys. You're able to have private workouts. So, you know, the scuttlebutt, you know, between co- co- er, coaches, scouts, jams uh, and all that leading up to the process We've had, you know, two, three months to really go through all that. And Trayvon, um, you know, for his, um, you know, his draft status, like to this point, what he's been able to do and show has encouraged enough scouts to, you know, start saying, hey, like, we believe that this guy is going to be a top pick. And he's probably going to be, um, you know, in the top five at this point. And I don't know. I mean, the dude ran what, like a four five, something crazy, like, you know. He's he's a talented player. And that's the thing, when you plug in the Georgia tape, he's one of those guys that immediately stands out. The problem is, I think it's so hard to suss out, you know, which of those Georgia players, you know, were benefiting from each other, you know, they all were, but who is going to be able to stand out and be an NFL star, you know, on their own merit when they aren't, you know, one of six, seven, five stars on the field all at the same time. And so that's what I'm curious to see, but I'm not too surprised that Trayvon, you know, Walker's like a to this point because he, he's a freak <laughs> like all, but you know, when you watch the Georgia defense, all those guys are freaks, but Trayvon Walker in particular used to stand out.
0: Who's going who's to be the second quarterback taken. I think everybody's pretty sold on Willis first second. It's everybody's all over the place.
1: Oh, wow. Okay. So if Willis does end up going first, which I don't honestly almost be a little bit surprised by. Yeah, you don't think um, you don't think he will be. Like he's my top quarterback. He's my top like in terms of the rankings. But I would be shocked if Pickett wasn't that first guy just based on what you, you think know. People what were scared were, of the hands. Was,
0: yeah. <laughs> Ever since those things came out, people everybody's out on this guy.
1: Right, right, right. Like his hands and are the
0: same when he beat Wake in the was it the ACC title game. Like, yeah, same
1: guy. My just thing to is see what, his hands a little closer exactly that, that's the thing like there is some merit to guys like having small hands um but i mean the guy also plays with gloves on unless you're gonna that's draft weird. him that's somewhere weird. it's wet know. yeah i mean like it, it doesn't really matter you know um that being said you know still like i have bigger issues with him like you know as far as like consistent pocket presence i know that that's like the thing that everyone loves about him based on his senior tape you know this first two years, and I feel like he was running himself in the sacks a lot. You know, he doesn't have the greatest arm strength in the world. He's kind of like a watered-down Joe Burrow. And I totally get why we love Joe Burrow because of the processing ability, especially what he does pre-snap, and then also the infectious leadership. You know, I can't say for certain that Kenny Pickett is capable of doing that on Joe Burrow's level. Um, That being said, um, I mean, like, I still wouldn't be shocked, you know, if, if it's Pickett, if it was Sam Howell. I think those are probably the two guys I would put money on to be like one some combination of Willis, Howell, um, excuse me, and Pickett. But, you know, it's it's really a toss-up because none of these guys necessarily have our complete quarterback prospects. All these guys have some traits here and there where they can end up being the top quarterback. And honestly – I think at least one of these guys ends up being a solid starter at, you know, at, in the NFL. I don't know who, but it could even be Bailey Zappi. You know what I mean? Like there, there's a lot of quarterbacks in this class. That's what I'm saying. He reminds me, it's funny. He has like the, the Case Keenum career and he, he really reminds me of Case Keenum. So it, it it could work out, you know, any which way. And, you know, it's very cliche to say it depends on where they land, but yeah, it really does come down to where these guys land. But I think it'll be some combination of Willis and Pickett going one two, and then maybe how third. But you know, it it's anyone's guess at this point.
0: It reminds me a lot of the the, the Baker draft because like I remember people had no idea it was Baker and Darnold and Rosen, and people weren't sure about Josh Allen, and they were like, "Is Lamar even even play quarterback?" And then people were all over the place. I remember even going up to the draft like number one, like a lot of people like I, I people I was with, a lot of people thought that Darnold was going number one. And then at Baker, Darnold, oh, wow. was, did Rosen go before Allen?
1: I think so, yeah, because he went to the Cardinals, right?
0: Yeah, so it, it's, it, was... it reminds me a lot of that, like, and then I guess everybody's trying to swing for the Josh Allen of this draft. And the, everybody, I guess everybody's kind of saying it's Willis based on rushing ability, arm strength, even, and he's not really polished. So it's it's fascinating. And then with the, the receivers, so you got uh, Drake London, who I watched a little bit of, coming off the ankle injury at six, five. A lot of people have counted Brandon Marshall. I don't really see much kind of, he's not really a run after the catch guy. seems like a kind of like a, like a, like a, like a, a, kind of guy that's going to haul in a bunch of targets, but then he just goes down and he can kind of be that kind of guy for you. You got Garrett Wilson. I've heard people comp him from Emmanuel Sanders to Ceedee lamb to Michael Thomas. I'm like, great. And then you got uh, (laughs) Jamison Williams coming off the ACL tear, but I don't know if you saw the video yesterday. He looks phenomenal. Who, who, who do you like of these receivers?
1: So my favorite is Jamison Williams. Like I even he with the were knee and fully injury. healthy. If he were fully, that's my thing. If he were fully healthy, he would be, you know, I think he'd be the number one receiver in this class. Yeah. You just look at his route running ability, his playmaking ability, big breaking ability. Like that's special and that stuff you can't teach. And we'll see whether or not, you know, any of those teams who are, you know, better teams like the Chiefs, Packers, who are wide receiver needy. Get lucky, and he slips all the way down. But I honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if you know a team in the top twenty-five ends up snagging him. That being said, you know I'm also a fan of Chris Olave, super smooth, and I just kind of have an affinity. He was like the number one smooth. receiver
0: going into this the year. I remember everybody's ecstatic about this guy.
1: Exactly, like the, a lot of people were high on Olave and Garrett Wilson, and Wilson is a very interesting prospect. Like you were saying, there's so many different comps. And, you know, the one that stuck out to me was kind of like, I think someone compared him to Odell Beckham, I and that's because of his jump ball ability, which I really like too, and his ability after the catch. Um, Traylon Burks. I, I think he, he's
0: like, my favorite one,
1: and nobody's been yeah, talking about him going to be the first He reminds one. me a lot of um, kind of an A.J. Brown, you know, big-bodied receiver, probably can do more after the catch than we're giving him credit for. Yeah. And so there, there's, the thing is, like, and scouts keep talking about this, like, receivers keep getting better every single year there's going to be you know top receivers throughout different rounds in the draft it's just about finding the right ones who fit the systems and then developing them and so you know right off the bat like i said if if Jamison williams was healthy he'd be my home run hit um but yeah i'm really curious to see like which of these guys really pop because there's potential for so many of them and there's reasons to like all of them
0: yeah because i like Traylon burks not really has nothing to do with football like that he I'm not a hunter, but the fact that he hunts hogs with a knife speaks volumes to this kid. Like <laughs> this kid's not afraid of anything because I know me with those wild boars, they scare the crap out of me. And this dude's willing to go one on one with these things that are running 40 miles an hour, give you diseases with one bite. This that's fearless to me. And they kind of show it in the way they move around the office. That has nothing to do with the hogs, but I'm like, I, I kind of like, I kind of like that with that. Um, want to ask you, um, AFC West. Mm-hmm. Are people undervaluing the Raiders?
1: Um, I think so, and only because, you know, people have questions about how good Derek Carr is still. I think he's proven himself to be, at, you know, solidly a top-12 quarterback. You know, he's capable of playing at a top-10 level. It's just the consistency hasn't been there. I think when he has a game-breaking receiver like Devontae Adams, we'll see him play at, that, at a level, you know – Similar to what he played at, you know, when it, I think it was that 2016 season With Amari, you know, when he that, was yeah. you know, when he was in uh, MVP conversations. And so to me, he's only gotten better since then, in my opinion. Like, I think it's the Raiders, you know, the aura of them just not being good. Um, you know, the fact that they, again, don't have a lot of star power or they didn't really have a lot of star power until, you know, this off season when they decided to get, you know, go out. In addition to Max Crosby, you add Chandler Jones off on alongside him. Um, you go out and get Devontae Adams. Like I think that, you know, going in the next year, you know, if the Raiders really the big key for them is if they can upgrade your offensive line, then that will squarely put them in the conversation for winning the AFC West. This is a team that managed to overcome, you know, everything all kinds that, of could, foolishness that, It's gonna be a thirty
0: for thirty their twenty twenty one season.
1: Right. And the fact they made the playoffs, you know, in and of itself is a miracle. Like <laughs> the fact yeah. that they were able to do what they did. And so it, it, I think it speaks to what, you know, the mentality is around the Raiders. I think that the fact that Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler, like, the fact that they are backing Derek Carr as the franchise guy says a lot about their faith and what he can be. I think it's about, again, surrounding him with the right talent. Um, and then, again, if they can upgrade along the offensive line, then they will be in that conversation, you know, with the Chiefs, Chargers, and Broncos for potentially winning the AFC West. But, you know, they're not too far away right now just with what they've got. You know, it's going to be a nightmare for teams matching up against Darren Waller, Devontae Adams, and Hunter Renfro. Um, you know, and I think they, they signed uh, the Chiefs, Demarcus Robinson, the Chiefs wide receiver, and they have Byron Edwards who, you know, they're hoping can develop. into is that the a guy that who they said is like T.L.? Yeah, I think it was John Gruden who had that quote. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah the, the Raiders have a lot of upside. And they have a really limited window, I think, just because, again, Derek Carr, you know, he's 31, 32 years old. You got to maximize that as much as possible. Devontae Adams, like having him on that kind of deal, Chandler Jones being where he's at in his career. Um, The window's now, and it's just going to be really difficult in a really crowded AFC West. You know, they're sort of fortunate that Tyreek Hill isn't there anymore because he's the one that was really causing them a lot of problems in that division. So we'll see how that affects, you know, the Raiders moving forward. But. No, they're, they're going to be in the conversation for sure um, as far as like competing for the AFC West.
0: In terms of, of DK Metcalf, a lot, a lot of people have been kind of shop, He's Apparently, people are trying to see if they're taking calls on him. So this is actually... Uh, so, so I run the, the, the Pro Football Focus, the betting account. So I put out a tweet okay. yesterday, his odds to go to the Chiefs. I woke up this morning with a quote tweet from DK Metcalf, not saying not going to happen. He had a question about the picture I used in it. So everybody, so this shit's blowing up. It's doing all this shit. And I'm thinking like, I don't see him staying there because one, Pete Carroll would abolish passing if he could Two, like he doesn't really fit their timeline anymore. They're kind of getting rid of everybody. And then like, there's all these teams that are willing to pay top dollar for receivers. So like would you be shocked if he ends up with the Packers or the Chiefs? I have seen the Jets, some of the other teams that are maybe wide receiver hungry that don't want to take a, take a shot at one of these rookies?
1: Um, I would be shocked, again, only because you, it, it would have to happen before the draft. It would have had to happen like a trade for DK Mac, Metcalf. I feel like it would have had to happen prior to the draft. Um, at this point, to me, if I'm a receiver-needy team – the only reason I would trade for DK Metcalf is if I can get him at, you know, sort of a cheap price. If I can get him at some type of discount.
0: you have to, um, get to but, trade for him and then pay him.
1: Exactly. That's the thing. And yes. so the Chiefs just traded Tyreek Hill for what was it, a first and a second in addition to a fourth. And I believe it was another six-round pick, right? Yeah. And so Devontae Adams, you know, got a first and a second. He's the best receiver in the league. So... When you consider like the compensation that you've had to give up to get, you know, DK Metcalf, regardless of where you think he falls on that receiving tier, you're probably gonna have to fork up at least a second round pick. And to me, like, I'd rather just draft a young receiver who's on a rookie deal, really, and pray that he hits. Well, I'm the, I, well,
0: I'm the opposite. If, if I, I'm I've rec- seen, if, I've seen Washington on, watch so we, many picks that I'm really like, wait a minute, this guy, we know he's great,
1: right? No, no, no. I don't trust the front office. I'm I feel saying, like I don't know. And in, in the idea that your cap strap okay yeah the cap doesn't make sense you have to pay him yeah. right that's that's what I was about to get at because you have to pay him yeah. afterwards and he's going to want a deal pretty comparable to Tyreek Hill which was quarterback money you know like it reset the receiver market so personally that's what I'm saying like it's not worth in you know compensating you know giving up a second round pick and then having to extend him immediately. You know, it, to me it doesn't make a lot of sense, even though you know what you have in DK Metcalf. That's something that the Rams would have done, you know, prior to you know, trading for Allen Robinson or something. But yeah, um, it's a swing that unless you are confident in the cap that you have, you're probably not gonna do.
0: Yeah, and I just got one one last question for you. So last year in the draft, Bears came out of nowhere, and went after Justin Fields. It was not reported they had I don't think they were linked to him at all. Do you see any teams, maybe kind of dark horse teams coming out of nowhere to and poaching one of these rookie QBs uh, in a couple of weeks?
1: That's a good question. Um, I was thinking about this the other day, though. Like, there's always a weird quarter, team that, like, drafts a quarterback. Like last year with Kellen going and the Vikings, I wasn't expecting that. Davis well, that was a great Houston. fit. Right. Right. And I, I think Mon, if he's ever given some time or like keeps developing, I'd like to see even Mike Zimmer
0: there. They're in great terms, even though Mike Zimmer.
1: <laughs> but um, I, I don't know. Like, I think I know that the other day people were bringing up the Eagles, like potentially like drafting a quarterback. And because we know the GM's mentality is to, you know, have a quarterback factory of sorts. You know, I could see them maybe in the second or third round taking, the, you know, a quarterback who's still on the board like it. I think it was Sam Howell who people were actually projecting. Like, I could totally see them in the second round, and Sam Howell's still there, you know, if the Eagles decide to go get him. But, um, I don't know. At this point, like, I would be shocked. Maybe, like, the Ravens, since they don't know what's going on with uh, Lamar Jackson. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be, Lamar uh, like, would not
0: like that at all. That's
1: what I'm saying. Like, I just feel like you'd be, you know, basically, you know, poking a hornet's nest us at that point. So, I can't think of any teams. Maybe the Packers or something, but they've already done that with Jordan Love, and they still have Jordan Love on the roster. So, there's not too many teams I can think of who in the first round would be willing to be like, yes, let's take a swing on the quarterback. Unless you're like, maybe the saints, if they're not happy with uh, Jameis Winston being the number one guy, but they paid him like they're happy with him. And Falcons would be another one team. Right. They just signed Dalton to exist. So yeah, I, I don't know. I think this year just because the quarterback class isn't as intriguing as years past, or at least this past year's, which was historic. We have like five guys going the first, you know, 15, 16 picks. Um, Like, the fact that this class isn't, you know, considered as good, there's not going to be as much quarterback movement or, like, teams who are pressed to go get a guy who they feel is talented and they can develop, in my opinion.
0: How about the Cardinals?
1: That'd be a sneaky one, too. But, again, you're poking the hornet's nest. The hornet's nest is already flying around. (laughs) It's kind of
0: securing your bottom line. Now, that's an interesting concept. Like... I don't. I don't know if there's like a Jordan Love kind of guy that a team's going to go after to kind of sit behind their starter if they don't know they're they have an un kind of like a uncertain future. But the really just got because there's always somebody. There's always there's so many reports of someone, this team, this team, this team, this team, and this team are all interested in one guy, and then a team right. that no one even brought up before is like, oh yeah, we're getting him. And you know, it's not like a kind of uh, kind of like a like a spur of the moment thing. They've been planning this, so it's 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 really really interesting. But I appreciate the time. Um, how can people? Uh, follow you on social media and check out some of the stuff you've been doing for The Ringer.
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, You can check me out at TheRinger.com. My name's Kalen Jones, K-A-E-L-E-N-J-O-N-E-S. You can follow me on Twitter, at Kalen Jones.